Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Happy Friday, St. Louis. I'm Michael Kelly. That's John Hancock. And you were in such a lovely movie mood, and then boom. Well, I'm in a bit of a foul humor, Michael. I, you know, Friday mornings, I get up early. It takes me a little while to get rolling in the yeah, morning. You get your coffee, do you? Well, you got to get the car. You got to go downstairs. You got to mm-hmm. press the coffee button there. And glug, 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 you know, you let it percolate there or whatever. Right, it, does. Right. it doesn't percolate it, you know, whatever. You got to fully gussy the dog, uh, Gus. Which means he's got to get uh, his gabapentin pills and a piece of cheese, and then uh, dog gets gabapentin. Then he uh, then he gets this other half a pill thing in his uh, in his breakfast, and mm-hmm. so uh, you give him his breakfast, and then you got to take him outside to do his business. We we, uh, we we all live this life. We understand. Yeah. So he's fully gussied. I got uh-huh. that done. Coffee's ready. I'm out of cream. No half and half in the house. All right. None. Zero. Uh-huh. So that's all right. I can live with that. Then, Michael, I go up to get in the shower. Now, there's some things that you do and some things you don't do in the bathroom. Oh, this ought to be got the dump button over there. So I'm uh, <laughs> I'm getting into the uh, get into the shower. I get the water nice and perfect temperature. Yeah, I step in. What's there. that about ninety nine? Whatever it is, it's perfect. Degrees? I can yeah. I, I can I know it when I feel it. Yeah. And uh, I got the water running there, and of course, you know, I shave in the shower, and I shave every day because I like to, you know, have smooth shaving. baby smooth, lots of smoothness yeah. on the face. Mm-hmm. So I reach down for the shaving cream. Yeah, there is no shaving cream in what? the shower. It was there yesterday, Michael. Uh oh, the shaving cream is gone. Uh-oh. There is no shaving cream in the shower. Mm. Now here's a rule: if you happen to be in the shower Ooh. and you happen to you squirt out the last bit of shaving cream, and so as to then cause you to well, even worse than throwing away the shaving cream and not replacing it is leaving an empty shaving cream in the shower. So that wasn't it wasn't the worst possible offense this morning. Okay, but there was no shaving cream in the shower, and so that means you got to get out soaking wet. No, I'm not doing that. It's oh, cold out there. Yeah, and uh, so you you take the soap bar. Oh no. I got the I got the Dove uh, quarterized oh, uh, quarter no. cleanser or whatever. You use that on your face. I put the Dove soap on. I lather it up on my hands and I oh, spread it on my face and then I commence to shave. Oh no! And I cut my face. Yeah, you can't be doing that. And uh, now see, this is the difference between so I'm a a single person. Uh-huh. So the only person using my shower is myself. Yes. So like sometimes when Find you run out of um, when you run out of shaving cream, sometimes you're like. Oh, I'm going to replace that when I get out. And the next morning, you forgot. You forgot. Hmm. So you only have one person to be mad at. Right. But, which is yourself. But you, like, you had to be like, okay, who did this to me? Are they playing a joke on me? You know, what's going on? Well, usually if Johnny's in town, you know, all of my stuff disappears in the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, but he's not in town. So I don't have that to to blame. Uh huh. Uh, so it could have either been my wife or the cleaning lady, and I'm not going to. Oh, well, aspersions. I would definitely go with the cleaning. I'm not going to cast aspersions on anyone. But, yeah, uh, I'd go after the cleaning. So lady. I've cut myself, but you know, somehow, Michael, I've overcome that, and I'm I'm in a sanguine mood this morning. You are now. I, I hope your face will be able to weather the uh, the the snowstorm we have coming as the a result storm. of a uh, having to there. use some of the soap. That soap will dry your face out quicker. Uh, it's it's dry. Feels like leather up there. 
this morning. Yeah, well, it looks like it's it Leatherface. He was in that movie. Yeah, you uh, look like Texas, it. what do you call him? Wow, we could film it right here. Uh, we could film it right here. <laughs> Worker play? KMOX is right there with you. We go where you go. Happy Friday, St. Louis. Keep it tuned to KMOX all day as this snowstorm passes through, or whatever it is, this winter weather passes through. We'll keep you updated on all the changing road conditions, etc. As this uh, ice and snow and uh, potential rain moves into the uh, metro area. And, John, um, let's just start with Russia. Boy, it's been quite a week with Russia. At the beginning of this week, we saw uh, uh, Tucker Carlson, the former face of uh, Fox News, over in uh, Russia, really doing boastful broadcasts about how Russia is this uh, almost paradise uh, to live in and that uh, America, he's embarrassed to be from America. Then uh, later in the week, we find out um, some intelligence get leaked about Russia having capabilities to take out our satellites uh, in space, that they potentially could have nuclear weapons in space. Uh, They also may have technology to take control of our nuclear weapons since all of our weapons are controlled by satellites. Uh, That's on top of uh, the Republicans stopping the Ukraine aid. Uh, Our European allies, including the former prime minister of England, standing up, calling on the world to stand by Ukraine to help push back against Russia uh, and Vladimir Putin. And then this morning, the terrible news of hearing Alexander um, or, um Navalny, Navalny uh, having died in jail, 47 years old, leader of the resistance against uh, Russia and Donald Trump. Uh, it was earlier this week, John, that I was taken by a tweet from uh, Eric Schmidt who pointed out that as it related to the young members of the Republican Party, uh, they're no longer like the old ones, and he pointed to uh, doing away with the funding for Ukraine is a part of that argument. He said that What's, nearly all of the senators 55 years of age or younger voted against uh, the foreign aid bill. So there we have it. There's Russia in a nutshell. Uh, one final comment, then I'll turn it over to you. My whole young life growing up, it was Ronald Reagan, uh, the father of modern Republican Party, who led the resistance against uh, Russia and said that force... Uh, having strength uh, against Russia would ultimately bring us peace. Most of these people who are in their 40s, 50s, were brought up in the time of Ronald Reagan. Uh, we often talk about realignments of the parties. Is this what we mean? Yeah, it's part of it. Uh, let me make the argument that I don't believe in, uh, but this is the argument, and and I think you will understand how it is persuasive for many people. We have so many problems in this country that we can't solve our border. We've got rampant crime in our cities. Uh, We're living under an inflationary spiral. And why in the world are we handing out billions of dollars to other countries who are far away from us that don't really affect any part of our day-to-day lives in this country? Wouldn't we be better spent focused on the United States of America, solving our problems, making our life better. There is no basis or need for us to be engaged in all of these foreign conflicts and wars that are going on out there. That argument is a populist argument. That argument is persuasive when people hear it. It just happens to be wrong. Uh, But I think what's happening in the Republican Party is that many of our leaders have found the allure of that argument to be 
popular with people, and they're able to articulate it in a way that makes people shake their head. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And so, and and it is an appealing argument on its face. The problem is, you can't have the luxury anymore of just focusing on your own country, and what's happening in Europe. Hasn't happened in Europe since the Second World War. A sovereign nation has been invaded by an aggressor. And, you know, this happened 10 years ago in Ukraine when they took Crimea in a matter of a week and we did nothing then. Uh, it's happened again. 10 years later, they go in. They thought they were going to take all of Ukraine in a couple of weeks. Now it's been two years. Why? Because the United States of America and our allies have been helping to finance the Ukrainian resistance there, and they've done a good job. They're not winning. Things are kind of at a stalemate, yet Russia continues to commit war crimes on a daily basis, bombing innocent civilian facilities, taking children out of Ukraine, shipping them off to Russia, putting them in camps where they are brainwashed and eventually farmed out to foster families uh, to be raised, leaving their own families behind in their native country. That is what the Russian government is doing. And if we ignore it, and if we allow them to waltz through Ukraine, they're not going to stop there. They didn't stop in Crimea. They're not going to stop in Ukraine. And it's a fundamental misunderstanding of realpolitik that folks are buying into this populist argument as persuasive and alluring as it may be. It is wrong and it is dangerous. The last time we saw this type of populism movement throughout the world take hold this way, was the time between World War I and World War II. Uh, strongmen uh, came up. They found enemies to uh, blame. Uh, we, we and the world is uh, out attacking immigrants and, and uh, et cetera. Um, we've watched populism now grow throughout Europe, um, and we're seeing uh, that a strongman could potentially invade and continue to go. How come it looks so obvious to seem like this could be World War II repeating itself? At the same time, uh, the party that had often prided itself on being the, the ones, the hawk, the ones to lead the world uh, and keep us safe in American and exceptionalism now wants to, to retreat to the shadows. Well, because it, the argument I just articulated is a popular one that a lot of people agree with. And... Uh, you know, Donald Trump said the other day that if we give aid to Ukraine, we ought to loan it to them and they pay it back. I mean, which <laughs> people like Lindsey Graham are parroting that argument. It's a ridiculous argument, uh, but it sounds good. And, you know, the, the world is a fundamentally safer, more stable place if the United States is engaged in it. Uh, countries are suppressed from doing what they would otherwise do for fear of the United States' involvement. I guarantee you that a lot of conflicts have been avoided over the last 70 years because of the NATO alliance. And, you know, now, the parallels between today and, and the period between World War I and World War II, I see what you're saying, but the, but the, the world is so fundamentally different now. It's a nuclear world now. It wasn't then. And... Uh, and there's a reason why we've avoided these land grabs in Europe for 70 years. It's because of NATO's presence. Ukraine was part of the old Soviet Union. Putin wants to put that thing back together again. And that's what he's up to. And, and if, we, if we allow him to take Ukraine, um, I don't know what's next, Moldova maybe. But he, he will continue on. And at some point, 
potentially. He invades a NATO country, and then what? And then we're sending boots on the ground, troops. Uh, well, well, unless we're pulling out of NATO, we, which right. President Trump has said yeah. he's going to pull us out of NATO. And if there's one thing that I think people should remember about Donald Trump, he tells you exactly what he's going to do. Um, he, he, You know, this isn't a hypothetical. He says, yeah, I want to be a dictator. Yeah, I would pull us out of NATO. And then he goes and forward and he does do this stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah I was concerned in the first Trump term that, uh, you know, because he was – he was very aggressively uh, going at NATO for not paying their 2% of GDP for military. It's not dues. I think a lot of people have the impression that, you know, these European countries should pay dues to NATO some kind of way, like, right. a, like a membership fee. That's not what the agreement is. The agreement is that they will spend 2% of their gross domestic product on defense. And many of them have not reached that level and, you know, in Donald Trump's eyes, uh, that's a reason that we shouldn't defend them. I mean, that's basically what he said. And missing the whole fundamental point of what that NATO alliance does, and it, it pre- presents a huge deterrent to foreign aggressors. If we, And if you let Russia have Ukraine, you're inviting Xi to go into Taiwan. You're inviting North Korea to get in Iran. I mean, these these are bad actors in the world, and they are kept in check by American strength and deterrence. And if we abrogate that responsibility, um, I, I tremble for for the future of the world. Yeah, quickly uh, shifting back to local, more state stuff. Uh, we had the Super Bowl parade guest uh, earlier this week in uh, Kansas City. Obviously, the shooting that took place uh, was tragic. It did put back in to focus the really lax gun laws that exist inside the state of Missouri. Uh, There is no restriction on open carry. Uh, You saw those weapons, John. I saw them. We all saw pictures of them. It looks like something out of a G.I. Joe movie. These aren't guns that should be on the streets. These are guns that are uh, weapons of war. Uh, Having this happen at a Super Bowl parade, and I get that it's not the the argument's going to be it's not the gun, it's the human, blah, blah, blah. Well, in this case— But do you think there's going to be a focus on maybe we ought to have some gun restrictions in Missouri? Whatever. That would not have had any effect on this incident. What you had in Kansas City was a couple of gang members, uh, two or three gang members who were well-armed. Gang members get well-armed not by going to the store and buying guns. Uh, these gangs, these urban gangs, are networked throughout the country. They ship they ship armaments back and forth as needed. They are well organized. They are coordinated. They are run by adults who use children to carry out their violence. And uh, that's what happened in Kansas City. He is John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. We'll talk more about this. We've got a full uh, couple hours with you. Stick around right here on KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. So I got a uh, call from a buddy of mine uh, the other day. I thought it was a joke. And he says to me, he says, um, have any interest in going to the ballet on Saturday? Yeah. And I said, is this code word? For something, what do you mean? He goes, no, the, the honest to God ballet. Yeah, the ballet's in town in St. Louis. Yeah. So I thought about it, yeah. and you know, it was very nice that somebody invited me to do something. Number one, uh, but at the same time, I have zero desire to go to the ballet. Why? Because it's just it's just not my bag. Have you know, you look, no listen. Culture. I went. To, 
I went to the uh, opera with you. You the, did. The, the, what, what, it, are, what do they call it? The uh, lovely, wasn't it? Yeah, opera kind of, theater. Saint the Louis. opera theater. Saint, yeah, it was fine. It's not my bag, but I, I did it. I've been yeah. to the uh, to the ballet. I yeah. saw uh, the Nutcracker. You yeah. know, it's it's just. I'm sh- it's a, an incredible artwork. It's yes. an incredible practice. Yes. It just doesn't do it for me. And the same way that maybe like, you, you know, s- some people watching an NFL football game, they're like, it just doesn't do it for me. It's not how they want to spend their day. Hmm. What do you think? Well, a little bit of culture, Michael, goes a long way. Culture. And, um, I'm getting culture lectures from you. Yeah. And, you know, you've got some of the greats of ballet have performed in this. I'm thinking of Rudolf Nerea, for example. Who? Uh, and and huh? ballet what? is you a, you actually know a ballet sp- uh, person's name? I know, yes, Michael, and and uh, like Mikhail Brishnikov. Brishnikov is a yes, older than Nureyev, but uh-huh. uh, similarly talented. Yeah, and, you know this is a this is a skill that is honed over thousands of hours of practice, huh. diligence. These are finely tuned athletes. A lot of athletes uh, in in sports that you like to watch. Uh, take ballet lessons precisely really? to assist them in their wow. uh, agility and ability to so, move. Uh, did I make a mistake? I should go to the ballet. You should go to the ballet, really? and you should look at the ballet. Now, here, here's the here's what you ought to do. You, you like to watch football, right? Yeah. So you like to watch the hole open up and the running back find the hole and uh, tiptoe and dance, yeah, or the yeah. or the receiver on the sideline getting those feet in bounds, uh-huh, two uh-huh. feet down after he sure. takes possession of the ball. If you watch the ballet. Mm. With that in mind, All right. and picture it as if they were executing plays on the gridiron, it will completely open up a whole new world for you, and you will see the beauty and the artistry uh, that's in, that's engaged there. I think you should go. James O'Sullivan, have you noticed the shift we've seen in my good friend John Hancock? First, it was the opera. Uh, then it was rooting for San Francisco, of all teams and cities, as a Republican. Uh, and then and then, and now it's the opera. I the mean, ballet. what's next? You gonna? I mean, the the ballet. What's next? You gonna come over and do some needle pointing with me? No. Okay. Uh, but I think you should go to the ballet and expose yourself to some well, culture. I'll, well, I appreciate that. And uh, speaking of exposing, one of the things when you go to an event like that, you have to be careful when you leave. John, did you hear this yes. story that happened earlier this week? Drake, who is a huge music star, did two nights in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, sold out both nights. One night was Monday night, and the second night Over was at, Tuesday uh, night. Enterprise Center. At Enterprise Center. On Tuesday evening, uh, a, a, a family, a mother and a daughter who were in from Chicago, Illinois, came down for a two thing. By the way, something I do regularly, travel for a concert, came down, went to the Drake concert, had parked at 18th and Olive, uh, Olive being one of the major thoroughfares in uh, the city of St. Louis, less than a block from the headquarters of the St. Louis Police Department. They were walking back to their car, and a criminal uh, uh, driving over 70 miles an hour down Olive Street Road struck and killed both of them in front of, nearly in front of, the police department. So here's my thought. Um, I'm downtown. I have an office downtown. Yeah. That's where my business is. I used to live downtown, less than a block from where this happened. Um, over the last year or so, there's been this debate on funding of police and we need less police. Do we need more police, et cetera. But one of the common themes that's come from our political leadership, our police leadership, um, and for that matter, our business community is, is that crime is going down 
and think things are getting better. Um, but for those of us who have businesses or live in downtown St. Louis, we don't feel that. Um, uh, and I, I want to call BS that that's the case. Here's the thing. If you're making the argument that the perception of crime is really the problem, you would think that the criminals would be most afraid of committing crimes right in front of the police department. Now, this is a 10, 12-story building where apparently every cop in St. Louis has to go at some time or another, um, and this happens a block from there. It's almost like we're being gaslit when we're told that things are getting better, yet this is happening right in front of the police department. Now, I'm with you. Maybe perception is the problem, but when the reality is, is this type of stuff is happening right in front of the police department— right in front of, uh, you know, in downtown St. Louis, your perception has become a reality. So when the mayor, who wants to be the mayor, and from a many, uh, and she wants to be it. She was working hard to be the mayor. I wish she'd start doing the job of the mayor. And the police chief and these other elected officials get out there and tell us things are getting better and that the perception and we're putting out this false narrative, hogwash. We just watched a couple, a family's life get ruined in downtown St. Louis, not down on the riverfront where maybe nobody was, less than a block from the police department. Yeah. I mean, there you have it. And uh, we they don't enforce basic laws in this city. And, and it's not unique to St. Louis. It's happening all over the country. People walk into department stores and just pick stuff up and walk out with no repercussions whatsoever. You see it as you walk through. If you happen to be brave enough to walk through the streets of St. Louis, you see windows busted out of building after building after building. Uh, you see the reckless driving that takes place. A young girl a year ago lost both of her legs due to a reckless driver who was uh, supposedly under house arrest at the time. And now you have this driver on Tuesday driving by some accounts up to 70 miles an hour down a side street in St. Louis, hitting a car, killing a family, T-boning another car. Now, he's been arrested and charged with a number of things, 22-year-old male. And we're not enforcing basic laws. I, I leave this building... Every day, and almost without fail, uh, when I'm leaving downtown St. Louis, whether it's Friday morning or Monday night after we're finished, uh, you see people running stoplights wantonly. And, you know, if those basic laws aren't enforced, then what you're basically doing is encouraging the behavior that we saw the result in the death of this family. And by encouraging that behavior, you're going to get more of it. And if and if it's so brazen and so without consequence that uh, people are willing to do it in front of the police headquarters, <laughs> uh, you know, you get you get the results of the approach to crime that we're taking. And these are the results of it. This is the fruit of the way we have decided to police in this city. And it's not going to change. Unless the way we police changes. And I feel like we're at rock bottom here in St. Louis in terms of a lot of issues that are affecting us in crime. And that's why I get so disappointed to hear people telling us, oh, things are getting better. It's not what you perceive it to be. 
this is an opportunity for us to actually fix some of this stuff. It can't get any worse. You can't have the Chamber of Commerce out there telling us, oh, man, it's swell. We're getting more people coming downtown than we've ever had before. In what fantasy world is that happening? Right. I mean, we've had the guy from Great St. Louis on right here on X telling us, oh, my gosh, people want to come to downtown St. Louis. Things are getting better. Uh, people feel safe. It's just for what purpose does this serve to continue to tell us that things are getting better when it's not? When ultimately, I think that we've got enough time right now where it could be all hands on deck. The state of Missouri, the St. Louis region, the city of St. Louis could all be working to address some of these issues. But instead, we're being told by our leaders, by our own police department, by our own business community, there's nothing to see here. Things are getting better. It's not the case. And yet another family's lives are ruined um, from a city uh, that came here to come for a concert. You know, the revenue that we're attracting all these people. Boy, what a narrative we're putting out. Well, our convention business is down uh, for 2024. Uh, I'm not shocked. And, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's a real problem. Uh, and it's not an unsolvable problem, but uh, somebody's got to step up. And-, and it's a crisis. You know, we watched what happened over at the Super Bowl parade. We'll get into it later. But you saw all hands on deck. You saw the mayor of Kansas City. You saw the police chief. You saw the fire chief. All there responding, talking. To speaking to what's going on in that community, and obviously that was a major, major event. But, but John, these types of major events are happening in St. Louis, not a mass shooting, but, uh, you know, this particular instance where people were leaving the city. And guess what? No, no press conferences, no chief, no mayor, no political leadership. Come on, guys. It's time to do better. We're at the bottom. We can fix this. That's Michael Kelly. I'm John Hancock. When we come back just around the corner, uh, CBS News legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum joins us. It's a big consequential day uh, for a multiple number of legal cases involving Donald Trump. We'll get the latest, the update from Thane Rosenbaum after this on KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. And welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly program here on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Well, if you've got your scorecards out at home, the uh, President of the United States, the former President of the United States, the 45th President of the United States, has got some legal issues going on across the country. We had the E. Jean Carroll verdict. Uh, that was uh, resulted in an $88 million judgment in her favor uh, against Donald Trump. There is, of course, the uh, January 6th case that is now before the Supreme Court with the uh, president's argument of uh, immunity uh, being considered. You've got the Georgia election fraud case with Fonnie Willis, the DA there, on the stand yesterday defending herself against uh, charges that she's well, she's violated the ethics code. Uh, there's a document case down in Florida about all of those uh, top secret documents that Donald Trump had at Mar-a-Lago and, uh, and elsewhere. Uh, that case is going through some hearing process now as to how much of that information should get disclosed to Donald Trump and his legal team. There's the pending hush money case by the New York District Attorney involving the payments uh, to porn star Stormy Daniels uh, from before the 2016 election. And we've got the New York Attorney General's civil fraud case against Donald Trump. 
to break all of this down, because you do need to kind of have a scorecard to follow all this, we're bringing in CBS News legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum. Thane, we're so delighted to have you and your expertise. Let's start out in New York. Uh, Judge Arthur Ngoron is to issue his decision today. We're expecting it. And it's going to involve what the disgorgement of the Trump organization is going to look like. Explain to us what we're looking at and how much money are we potentially talking about? So, there, first of all, that was an excellent recitation uh, of all of them. Really well done. Um, uh, there are two pieces of the remedies for damages that you'll hear about today. One is the damage award that was requested by the attorney general that she said is $370 million, right? She came up with that number. Um, originally, I think it was like $100 million, and during trial, she just, she took the took a position during the um, closing argument that the, what we've learned is so extensive a fraud that the public, the citizens of New York, have been defrauded by $350 million. That's an interesting question about how she arrived at that number, but she did get an expert witness to talk about the kinds of uh, taxes that otherwise were not being paid by the Trump organization. So that's one piece. The second piece, in an odd way, you think that $370 million is a lot, is what I call the death penalty phase of this civil fraud case, because it essentially says that you will be, as you said, disgorged, your major uh, properties will be put into receivership. Uh, and you will be banned either for a short period of time or forever, you and your son, from conducting business in New York or even serving on boards in New York. So you're basically kicked out of New York. Um, this is one of the reasons why Donald Trump showed up to this case, because I think this one struck to the heart of his self-identity, right? I am a real estate mogul, and you are trying to strip me of my assets and call me a liar uh, in a in a in a career that I have developed and I am an expert on, so that's why he showed up and you know did his own commentary. But that's really the two phases. Will there be both the three hundred and fifty seventy million dollar damage award, and will he add on to my senses? He said he was going to have this case the decision by February first. We're also told that I think this opinion is going to run a hundred pages. So he's really the judge is really trying to you know make his case. I seriously doubt he's going to treat Donald Trump more leniently if he's taken an additional two weeks and is now about to deliver a 100-page opinion. So a couple of follow-ups to this. One is, uh, what is there or could there be in this opinion, this ruling, that would prevent the Trump organization from simply incorporating elsewhere, moving the assets out of control of New York. Is that something that this court could prohibit? No. In fact, I think that one of the easiest things to do is just put this all in Ivanka's name or in Donald Trump's wife's name. They're not, you know, originally Ivanka Trump was one of the defendants. They dropped her. So they obviously thought they had no evidence all against her. Okay. So, you know, he doesn't have to, there's a difference between disgorgement uh, and forced liquidation where he gets the money back. He doesn't have to, in theory, he doesn't have to sell it if he can transfer it to someone that is essentially himself. So I think that there are, but that does mean that he can't, you know, buy new property in New York State and build a building on it, right? Um, he made, you know, he cut his teeth here on Fifth Avenue with the original Trump Tower and the buildings around Grand Central. 
Um, so, you know, this is this and this gets to, by the way, this includes Mar-a-Lago um, in terms of what the fraud is. It includes all the golf courses. They're basically saying that he inflated the value of all of that real estate portfolio. The problem is, and it's a significant problem, is uh, on appeal, the question still remains, is this the kind of case that can be brought by a New York attorney general when it seemingly looks like a victimless crime? None of the banks complained about this. All of the banks claim that they made money. All of the banks claim that they did their own due diligence and they had no problem with the valuation. All of these banks said, you know what? Just having this guy on our books helped us, even no matter what. You know, if he wasn't paying it, it it wouldn't have mattered. Just being around this guy got us more business. And New York attorney generals, attorneys general around the country, their job is public and consumer welfare. You know, in what way? Where's the harm? And that, I think, will be an issue on appeal. Where's the harm? The uh, attorney general is claiming every taxpayer in New York is harmed. But that that is an appealable issue. Well, we're going to keep an eye on it. And, of course, the appeals process will go to the Court of Appeals in New York State and ultimately to the New York Supreme Court, potentially. Uh, So this thing's far from over. Thane Rosenbaum, thank you so much for your expertise. Always a pleasure to visit with you. Thank you. Anytime for you both. Thank you. I'm in Jupiter, Florida, the spring training home of the Cardinals, and you can hear my daily spring training reports, mornings and afternoons, direct from the team complex on the home of the Cardinals, KMOX. Matt Pauly with a miserable assignment down there in Jupiter, Florida. Can you believe spring training is about to get underway? It is and, underway. Uh, well, it is underway. Pitchers and catchers, right? Yeah. That's so, spring training, buddy. Yeah, and then, uh, of course, we're still dealing with snow, so keep it tuned to KMOX. We'll uh, keep you updated on all the changing weather conditions over the next 24, 48 hours. Cool. Hey, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, we have Scott on the phone with us. Scott, uh, your family was involved in the shooting over in Kansas City? Yes. Uh, hi, good morning, and, and thank you for taking my call. I uh, I do enjoy your, your, your shows all the time. And uh, I... Mr. Hancock's comments earlier about um, the, the, you know, this is a result of gang activity and uh, and such, which was, you know, very true. I'm I'm sure, but but I think regardless, we're talking about two juveniles, and and I don't think, you know, there's there's not enough done to to combat this problem. And I'm, I'm, I just don't think we should just put our heads down and, and say, well, that's just how, you know, it's a world we live in. All right, Scott. I I, I appreciate that. I mean, you had a family member involved in that, correct? That's correct. My son told me he was within 50 feet of, of the shooting and he was, you know, he was able to escape without harm, you know, but he did, he, you know, he did, uh, experiencing people on the ground. Yeah. That's uh, real trauma. Thank you, I Scott. Mean, that's real trauma. Yeah. Thanks Scott. Well, you know, uh, I had a niece that was over there. Now she had left because my understanding is this, this dispute, which, uh, you know, I, I have a hard time with them calling it a dispute. You know, when it first came out, it was a mass shooting, right? Right. 
And well, then, it was a mass shoot. Right. And then now they're saying, well, it was a dispute between. No, this was an act of terrorism. Even if you're a, a, a couple of kids, you're amongst 800,000 other individuals. You pull out a weapon and start to fire. From what I, that's not a dispute. That's an that's an act of terrorism, is it not? Well, and it's a it's a exhibit A of the of the societal breakdown that we're dealing with. I mean, the, you know, we could debate gun policy, and um, and there are some reforms that I think would be helpful. But the, fundamentally, what happened uh, on Wednesday in Kansas City is a result of a couple of things: uh, systematic decline, decimation of too many families in this country, and uh, the the very real and present danger posed by these violent gangs, coordinated, organized gangs. And you talk to any officer that deals. Uh, with urban crime, and they will tell you that the this is these are not random one-off gangs that pop up. They they are networked, they communicate, they transfer arms across the country to one another. That's happening. It's happening in this city, and it's happening all over the country, and that needs to get rooted out. It just as as the government went after organized crime back in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. Uh, yeah. This organized crime needs to get rooted out as do well. Do you understand? I know you do. Um, but it, it the, the argument of, well, bad people and guns and we're never going to be able to, that kind of falls on deaf ears when we have legislation like, the, you know, they rejected a piece of legislation that said even a minor in the state of Missouri wouldn't be able to open carry a weapon. Now, would that have stopped this particular situation? Absolutely not. Right. But right. is that a reason to not implement a law that says, why do we have this ridiculous open carry? Well, I, I and the Missouri I grew up in, anytime you saw somebody in public with a gun, they were either a cop or it was it was taboo. You're in trouble. Yeah. yeah, it was taboo. Yeah. Now we're we're relishing this that everybody should be able to carry their gun and any gun is important to hold. It's 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 no longer an argument of common sense. It's an argument of absolutism that just falls on deaf ears when we have these types of shootings and we devolve into the same conversation we always do. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think that when we pass concealed carry in this state, and I'm a strong supporter of concealed carry, but when we pass it in this state, the owner of the firearm had to get trained. They had to be certifi certified uh, that they knew how to handle that weapon. And they had a certificate and they had a piece of paper, a license that allowed them to carry that firearm. Uh, we've since done away with that requirement so that uh, anyone can carry a firearm on them. And, you know, if you're a law abiding citizen, great. The problem is, and the, the problem isn't law-abiding citizens. The problem is criminals have weapons. People that shouldn't have guns that are mentally ill have weapons, and they use them. Uh, outlawing those weapons isn't going to change the fact that you've got mentally ill people and criminals carrying weapons. However, a tool for law enforcement would that would be helpful, in my opinion, is that if you had a licensing require a licensure requirement to carry that firearm, at least then... Someone carrying a firearm illegally 
can be apprehended, the firearm can be confiscated, and they can be criminally charged. And that, to me, would seem a reasonable uh, restriction that's not onerous. We did it for years in this state where you had a license and you concealed and carried. And uh, I don't understand the value in not requiring that license when the net effect of it is police officers are not able to confiscate illegal guns on the streets because they don't know if that gun's legal or not. Yeah, and, you know, it just, I don't know, it kind of feels like we've lost common sense. I mean, let's remember these folks who pass this legislation or uh, who say that anybody can carry a gun, they're getting elected. People like this message. Um and maybe the voters ought to be reflecting on themselves of, is this, you know, the argument that you just made, is it going to fix the problems? Probably not. But does it, do we need to have this permissive stuff? I, I watched our governor, and thankfully he was okay and his family who was over there as well. Um, but I, I watched him say, you know, thank you to our law enforcement, the people who run in when, when everybody else is running away. Our law enforcement was down in Jefferson City from both Kansas City and St. Louis saying that these open carry laws are wrong, uh, particularly for minors. You know, and, and, and what we're dealing with in these cities doesn't make some sense. Uh, I, I don't know that we're ever going to be able to put this gun thing back into the bottle, um, but it just seems to me that throwing our hands up saying there's nothing we can do is no longer an approach we can take. But unfortunately, uh, history has shown us since Columbine um, that that's where we're headed. We're going to have this conversation again. Um, we had one here not too long ago, school shooting right, right here. Now it's over in Kansas City with our uh, the team that uh, most of the state was rooting for. Uh, we're going to throw our hands up. Me. Yeah, ditto. Uh, but we're going to throw our hands up and walk away and just say there's nothing else we can do. And well, there the, are the, 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 the Onion puts out a tweet every time mm. that there's a mass shooting and says, you know, just nothing can be done in the only place that this happens. And it's hard to ignore that there's no other country in the world that has the access to guns that we have, that has, you know, that, that has that, and then has these mass shootings. It's just not happening elsewhere. It's an undeniable fact. Um, and hopefully we can get past talking past each other. And even if it's small, even if it's the most microscopic thing of, yeah, a 12-year-old ought not be carrying a gun uh, in Old Town St. Charles as an open carry, maybe it's not going to change the world, but maybe it's the first step in a larger process well, that needs to happen. There are basically three kinds of, like four kinds of firearm deaths. You have law enforcement engaging it in the you know, prevention of crime or thwarting of crime. You have accidental incidents often involving children where a parent, a family member, has not safely taken care of storing the, the handgun in the home and tragedy happens. You have criminals using illegally obtained firearms uh, in the commission. They use it in the commission of crime, and sometimes those guns are discharged, discharged as they were in Kansas City, and they kill people. And then you have... People that are mentally ill who either have legal access or illegal, that they have access to weapons, and because they're mentally ill, they go out and shoot up a place. And uh, those things, it seems to me that there ought to be general agreement in the public that there are some people that ought not have firearms. And we've got to find a way to, to better police 
who has access to those things. And law-abiding citizens are not the problem when it comes to firearms. He's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. We're going to talk about the dysfunction of Congress when we come back. We'll also probably talk about some Cardinals. They were dysfunctional last year. What are they going to look like this year? Hancock Kelly, one more segment before we're joined by Amy and Chris right here on KMOX. Local news and information direct to your smart speaker. Just say, play KMOX. Hey, welcome back. John, we were talking yeah. about Congress being completely dysfunctional, yeah. and it's just interesting to me uh, uh, when you think back, um, uh, what, it was less than 24 months ago that uh, if um, Mitch McConnell told all the Republicans they were going to go to the top, top of the Capitol Dome and jump, everybody would get in line and go do it. Uh, and now it's almost like there's glee in uh, being against what he's – uh, standing for uh, as it related to this Ukraine stuff. And yeah. the same thing's happening on the Democratic side. Nancy Pelosi's leadership was able to keep a lot of this progressive squad group in check. Uh, but that's uh, since has been a little bit harder for Hakeem Jeffries. Now, being the minority party, it's not that big of a that's deal. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. a little easier. Uh, but I'm, I have a feeling we would be seeing some of these same splinters inside the Democratic Party should there be a Speaker Jeffries rather than a leader Jeffries. Yeah, and, and if their if their you know majority margin is thin, um, you know I, the Republican Party split, you know, and it, it split in the electorate. It's now split in the elected officials, and you've got a very distinct uh, populist. Uh, group and I would count it, Eric Schmidt and Josh Hawley okay. among them. So when you talk about realignment, I get the realignment of policies, but has there ever in a realignment in history have there been realignment of people, people who would one oh, time maybe yeah. identified as Republicans yeah. oh, who are saying, that's the, that's "Look, the very now definition. I'm going to the Democratic Party sure. because they're anti-Russia." Yeah, is that what we're going to start to see? Well, I think you might. A bit Romney as, as this thing plays out. Um, Depends on what happens with the Democratic Party. If the Democratic Party continues its its uh, its progressivist drift, then no. But if you go back and look at the last real realignment we had in this country, you started to see the signs of it in the late 60s, building up to the election of Ronald Reagan. You know, the, the south of this country, if you go and look at the electoral maps for presidential elections historically, completely different. So the south in this country was voting... Solidly Democratic. It was Franklin Roosevelt's wheelhouse uh, in the South. And certainly coming out of the Civil War, the South was very strongly allied with the Democratic Party. And the Republican Party was the party of the Northeastern banking, finance, establishment uh, interests. And, you know, New York, big Republican state. Right. And so the Strom Thurmonds of the world, who were at one time Democrats, Democrats became Republicans. Do you do you envision that we may witness that in here in the next couple of years of our lives? I mean, you got the Joe Manchin who's frustrated right. on the Democratic side, the Mitt Romney who's frustrated. Now both these guys are saying, "Hey, let's start a third party." I think we both know that's not going to work. No, but uh, could we see a realignment of traditional conservatives maybe coming over to the Democratic Party and and those who have maybe had a populist uh, communist been going towards the Republican Party from the Democrats. Well, yeah, because historically, Democrats have certainly been a lot cozier with Russia uh, than had Republicans. That's no longer the case. Uh, you could see it, but the the party, that, the receiving party, <laughs> the right. party that's electing to receive, they've got to make some accommodations to those people. 
So if you're going to see a bunch of sort of internationalistically driven conservatives join the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party can't be the party of defund the police, in, in, defund and, the police yeah. endless welfare benefits, tax increases. So, I mean, it's it's not simple. But I do sense that we are in the beginning stages of a political realignment. How long did the realignment take? Uh, I mean, it happened during the civil rights movement is really when the deal was sold, right? Set, set with uh, Lyndon Johnson. Right. He lost the Democratic Party. Yeah. Uh, in the I, South, it's that changed, is. changed, sure. Yeah, yeah. and that, that was a period of, you know, 15, 20 years. So I think that's what you're looking at here. Well, he's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. Hey, we're going to step aside for the news. We'll be later joined by Amy and Chris, who are off-site today. So uh, we're going to stick in studio. We'll chat it up with them, and uh, we will take you all the way to, uh, what, 1030? Then they're going to take you all the way till uh, Dave Glover, and things will just continue to roll here on KMOX as the snow's starting in downtown St. Louis. There you go. I want to thank Frank Ladd, James O'Sullivan working the board. Stick around. The news is next.